This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Chiesi. Providing innovative neonatology solutions for more than 35 years, Chiesi is committed to supporting the neonatology community and the NICU families you serve. To learn more, visit www.nicuconnections.com slash incubator. The episodes in this mini-series on thermoregulation are kindly sponsored by GE Healthcare. As a leading global medical technology innovator, GE Healthcare is dedicated to enabling clinicians to make faster, more informed decisions through intelligent devices, data analytics, applications, and services. Its maternal infant care division designs solutions to meet the needs of providers, families, and patients to support care that can help send moms and babies home healthy. To find out more, visit clinicalview.gehealthcare.com. This is The Incubator, a weekly discussion about new advances in neonatology and the fascinating individuals who make this progress possible. I am Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbeau. We are neonatal intensive care physicians. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator Podcast. We are back with another episode of our mini-series on thermoregulation of the newborn infant. And today, we are joined by uh, Dr. Danielle Trevisanuto, from, uh, who's an Associate Professor of Pediatrics in the Department of Women's and Children's Health at the University of Padova in Italy. Danielle, uh, thank you for making the time to be with us. And uh, for I think you are our first Italian guest on the podcast. <laughs> thank you. I am honored to be the first Italian uh, invited the person for this uh, for this opportunity. So thanks for for this invitation. <laughs> no, of course, of course. You've done a lot of work on thermoregulation, and and you've done a lot of studies. You're extensively published. You've done work both uh, in Italy and and both in in on a more global uh, health setting. And um, I'm just curious about what keeps bringing you back to this topic. It seems to be a topic of interest to you that seems to be fascinating you. And I'm just curious about what is it about thermoregulation that you find so interesting? But uh, probably the most important thing is that uh, as I'm working in low resource setting, I have many projects in uh, Asia, in, uh, in Africa in particular. And uh, as hypothermia is a real killer in this country, uh, for the reason I was very interested in how to try to solve such a, uh, how to say, it uh, seems a very simple problem to solve. We don't need too much, uh, uh, probably we don't need too much, uh, we need technology, but probably we need other, other aspects that are low cost and we can try to solve uh, this problem. Uh, and so probably this was my first, interest because they were interested in improving in such a low uh, resources setting at this, uh, this aspect. And of course, this problem I discovered is also important probably in high resource setting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting how in the first, if we, if we want to call this in the developed world, how we are being reminded of the importance of temperature regulation 
by all the work being done in, like you said, low resource settings where we tend to see the effect that not maintaining temperature can have on the baby. And it reminds us in the developed world, my, my God, like we're doing all these little interventions that are supposed to increase outcome by a few percent points. And then we, we sometimes forget how just maintaining temperature can have such a dramatic impact on, on so many variables, survival, comorbidities. Is that something you've noticed as well, where this is something that as, as the care of the newborn in the first world country has become so sophisticated, we can often forget about the more regulation? Yes, I agree, because uh, we think that uh, sometimes we think that uh, uh, temperature is allowed to say a minor problem or is a nurse problem, is mm -hmm. not a, a doctor problem. And, uh, but I think that is a great uh, error, a great mistake uh, to have a, such an approach because uh, to make attention to the temperature means uh, really uh, to improve the critical outcomes such as mortality, such as uh, intraventricular hemorrhage. And so there are many studies that have uh, confirmed the association or the relationship between hypothermia and nicotine transmission. And we, we play the match during the first 20 minutes of life mm. and uh, you can make the difference. And so I think that is very important to come back to the basic uh, management of the patient in addition to the new advanced technology, of course. When I was speaking to people about this and saying, what do you think about thermal regulation? Many people said to me, you know, I don't think about it too much because I have the warmer or I have the or I have the isolate. So like it's the baby's temperature is automatically taken care of. And we and I was never thinking about this from a clinician standpoint where we've delegated the thermoregulation task to the machine. And I'm wondering if is that something you've noticed as well, where we assume that the machine is going to do the work and that is going to maintain normothermia for us? I think that uh, technology is very important, but uh, human behavior is very important, the approach of the team. Just to give an example, we published, I think, two, two years ago, a multicenter randomized control trial <clears throat> on the use of servo control in, uh, versus no servo control in, uh, in uh, delivery room. For, mm -hmm. We included uh, um, 440, I don't remember, more than 40, uh, so sorry, more than uh, 400 patients, very low between infant in Italy. In Italy. Yeah. And we had uh, 15 centers. And the primary outcome was a normal range, normal thermal range at nuclear emission. What we found was that uh, we didn't find any difference between the two approaches. But what uh, was the most important uh, result, in my opinion, was that uh, only 40% of very low perterm infants arrive normothermic in, uh, in, at the NICU in Italy. And we have all of these hospitals are level three hospitals. All these hospitals have the same, more or less the same equipment, more or less, of course. Of course. But, uh, but uh, there, were a very, there was a very large range in normothermia. And the range was between 3% in one hospital and the best hospital had uh, 75, 78% of normal term and emission. And so it is just to confirm you that uh, the intervention, the what in addition to the, uh, to the technology, also the organization, the small, small aspects are very important to, to prevent hypothermia at nuclear emission, also in our setting. 
Yeah, this was a, a paper that uh, your team published in the Archives of Disease and Childhood in the Fetal and Neonatal Edition. In, um, I think, 2021, you had 450 uh, infants in the study, as you mentioned. And it was very shocking to see what you just said, how despite the use of servo-controlled system, the amount of babies that arrived with nomorthermia was I think 39.6% in one group, 42.2% in another. And so technology alone cannot, technology cannot do it alone, basically, that um, there are many aspects of the care of the newborn that is involved in, 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 that, in the time of transition after birth and that we need to uh, pay attention because, uh, yeah, it w- I was expecting to see higher numbers. <laughs> um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit, what does that mean, servo-controlled? I think I, think I know. But I'm sure that there are some people in the listening to this podcast who said, I've always heard servo-controlled, temperature, whatever. But what, is that, what does that mean, practically speaking? Practically speaking, is uh, servo-control means that uh, you give uh, the, uh, how to say, you, la- you leave the, um, the organization or the management of the thermal control to the machine fully to the machine. And so the, you put a, a sensor on the, on the skin of the baby and the machine decides the power of the temperature that has, uh, is are, uh, given to the baby according to the temperature of the baby. And so the machine understands what is the temperature and what is the power that it has to give to the patient. While no servo control means that you set the clinician set the um, the temperature, the entity of the temperature, the magnitude of the temperature that has to give to the patient. Uh, in that study, we found no differences. We set the temperature that the machine has to had to give to the patient was 37. And we discussed this also with the reviewer if it was the case to increase the goal to give, to, to say to the machine, to set the machine to 37.5, for example, According to the result of this study, if I could or we would do another study, I suggest, okay, we increase the goal because there is a, a large thermodispersion in, uh, in, the, in the room or there are other aspects that has to be considered. And so the machine works be- well, but uh, probably we have to increase the, the set of the temp of the temperature that has to achieve uh, being achieved by the by the by the machine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And w- you have a, an extensive many years of experience in this field. I'm just wondering that when you are working in the clinical setting, what to you are some of the biggest challenges we are facing today in trying to be performing at a, at a level that is sufficiently high to maintain temperature. Uh, what, what are the pitfalls that you see where we, we lose opportunities to keep normothermia and we fall into hypothermia? Okay, we have said that the team is strategic. And so I think the education of the team is uh, probably one of the most important. When a baby arrives hypothermic in our, at our NICU, we discuss with the team, we have a pediatric resident that are, they are the team leader. Why uh-huh. this patient, uh, with the neurosis, of course, why this patient arrived uh, hypothermic in, at the delivery room? We, where we can improve for the next patient. And so this is, this is rare, but uh, 
because we have a good uh, 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 normothermia range uh, or rate, but, uh, but uh, sometimes we have this problem. And it depends maybe the temperature of the room uh, and so on. Uh, try to, to answer to your question in a more specific way. I think that we don't know where we have the drop of the temperature. Is immediately after birth, is we spent more or less 30 minutes from the birth to the, um, to the admission to the NICU. And uh, 25, 30 minutes, at least in our hospital. And so the question is, when the patient, where is the drop of the temperature? Is uh, already in the, in, the, in the womb of the mother, because the mother is hypothermic, is immediately after birth, because you have an acute drop, is uh, during the minutes where you do the resuscitation. We know from some study that a patient who receives intubation, for example, or uh, um, yes, of some maneuvers, resuscitative maneuvers, they have a higher risk of to be hypothermic. Is during the transfer to the NICU where we put their, them in the, the incubator. And so uh, I tried to do a study, I would like to do a study, uh, to do a study. We receive some devices from GE and, uh, and Europe. They were very kind just to try to monitor, strictly monitor, minute by minute, what happened. And uh, if you, if you find, if you are able to find the uh, a specific point, we can work on that point or that reason. So, On that moment of when that drop happens. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's, more, it's very common for all of us to deal with patients who are after birth um, not normothermic, right? I mean, as we spoke, it's, it's achieving normothermia is a, is a high standard and, and we may achieve it for many patients, but there are still some that may find themselves not within that range. Um, I think there's a lot of beliefs around how am I supposed to handle the baby that is not normothermic? And should I just rewarm them pretty quickly? Should I take it slow? I think there are a lot of people who still think like HIE, where I have to warm, if I rewarm a baby, I have to do it slow. <laughs> but uh, in your experience, um, what, what is the right approach when the target is not met and now I have a baby that needs to be brought back to the normal range? How do you approach that? But this is another great question. And really, we don't know. There are two, I think, two very old um, uh, randomized control trials with very low patients uh, with uh, uh, conducted in low resource setting in, uh, but I think, uh, 30 or 40 years ago. And so a, a norm with a patient with a normal weight uh, and so full-term newborns and so I think that is not, uh, we cannot use that studies. There are some, there is one physiological study that say that we can, in, we, we have to avoid to go too fast, higher than 1.5 grade per hour, uh, degree per hour, because, uh, because we uh, increase the uh, oxygen consumption. But it's all study, and so I don't know if it is correct. Now we have some observational study, retrospective study. One was conducted in our hospital with or led 40, uh, 400 extremely low birth weight patients, extremely low birth weight infants, so less than one kilo. And we 
compare retrospectively uh, what happened to the patients where hypothermia were um, rewarded faster compared to the patients who were rewarded uh, uh, in a short, in a, uh, slowly. Slower. Slower, yeah. yes, sorry. And uh, what we found is interesting because in this, this, is, this study has many limitations because it's not a randomized controlled trial. But what we found was that not if uh, the cutoff was uh, as uh, uh, the cutoff was 0.5 uh, degrees per hour, okay, as we do for the rewarming in uh, during uh, um, therapeutic hypothermia. We know that when we do hypothermia, uh, therapeutic hypothermia, in full term, in fact, we have to use uh, 0.5 as a rate. But uh, what we found was no differences in the main important outcomes, such as hypoglycemia, IVH mortality, and so on. The only difference that we found was uh, the incidence of uh, RDS. Patients who were rewarded slowly had higher RDS. And so it is uh, uh, consistent because we, when we give surfactant, we, we warm the surfactant. And so the surfactant in, uh, uh, in hypothermia in newborn or, the, or, the, or uh, hypother- okay, hypothermia increased RDS because you have an inhibition of surfactant in the lungs. And so I, I, I enjoy, I was very happy for this, uh, for this uh, uh, what we found, for this result. Another study that we conducted was in low-resource setting, including preterm and full-term newborns, and also in this case, we, I think that the study was published one or two years ago in children, and also in that study, we did not find, find any difference between fast or slower um, rewarming rate. And now there is uh, one of the PICO questions in the core task force is uh, what is the best way to reward the baby, but also the conclusion of this, uh, of this review and meta-analysis, meta-analysis that included our study and only um, observational study is that uh, we don't know really if it is better to go fast or to go slow. It's interesting. You would think that uh, with how bad we are at maintaining no more thermia, that we would have figured out if we should correct fast or slow. Uh, but it, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, we'll put all the links to the articles that you are referencing, by the way, in the episode's show notes, so that if people are interested in reading these papers, which are uh, very interesting. I think the other paper you mentioned was is published in the in the Journal of Pediatrics. Uh, we will put all that in the um, in the show in the episode uh, show notes. As we're talking about um, rewarming and we're talking about normothermia, I think that there are many products that have come out as a result of our initiatives to maintain normothermia after delivery, whether they are, uh, we talked about the warmer, but we're t- but they are blankets, they are hats, they are uh, polyethylene bags. And you've done a lot of studies to look at different things, whether it was the, the, wool, the wool hats or... I've seen a study that you looked at maybe like almost like a shower hat, like the plastic shower hats on babies. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of these and, and how the different material, different products, how does that play a role in, in normal, maintaining normothermia? Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, it seems that by based on, okay, we, the, the, the study that, uh, that uh, uh, we conducted I think a few years ago, many years ago, we published it uh, in, I think, in Journal of Pediatrics, was, uh, was we were interested if uh, covering the head of the baby with a 
shower cap because of course the 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 head the surface of the head is 20.8% of the entire body surface and so is a very large part of our body when you are newborn when you are become adult you become microcephalus <laughs> microcephalus and so now you have an example here and so the baby has a very large surface uh, uh, in the head and so in that study, we, it was a randomized controlled trial. We were interested in covering the head with a plastic bag or with a shower uh, cap was effective. And uh, really we found it was effective. And so I think that is effective as well as I think a woolen cap. We know that cotton cap does not work. We know the woolen cap are effective in preventing mm-hmm. hypothermia. And our study... I think that is the only study, and so it should be nice to to repeat, uh, or, or another group could repeat it to cover the depth of a baby with the with the plastic uh, cap. Uh, is uh, it could be reasonable to avoid thermal dispersion? I am. We are referring to extremely low birth infant, very low birth infant. With, with regard to the material. There is one bench study that has been published, I think, two years ago in archives of disease in childhood that showed that uh, uh, polyethylene bag is, effect- is more effective than polyurethane bag. And so also the material is uh, uh, make the difference or counts. Uh, so please be sure that uh, you have the polyurethane, yes, the right one, the right material. I think we did review that um, we did review that study from the archives on the podcast. I forget when it came out not too long ago. You're right, um, and we did review it because it's it was a it was a very interesting one. In terms of maintaining temperature, I think there's been this question that we've we've we're curious to hear from our various guests about. We've we've set the standard of normothermia, especially in in preterm infants. I think the importance of maintaining normothermia in extremely low birth weight infants is, is so important. But we've also set the standard for golden hour, where we're hoping to get all the admission sort of complete within the hour. And I am just wondering, what are your thoughts on sometimes how normothermia and golden hour can become competing entities where we're trying to finish everything, uh, like the lines and everything, but sometimes it can happen at the expense of the temperature of the baby. How has been your experience in managing all this uh, in your NICU? Uh, in my NICU, the baby is uh, managed in an incubator. Mm. The incubator is, uh, we use, it depends, if you have extremely low to infant, the, temp- the temperature and also, the, in particular, the um- humidity is uh, very high, 90% during the fifth hour. And uh, uh, we try to give uh, a warm, warm uh, fluid and uh, yes, and we try to uh, yes, we try to to do a lot of, of attention. The temperature is continuous monitoring, uh, monitored, monitored, and uh, uh, this is the way. Uh, one of the most important risks is when you do a a procedure when the patient arrive uh, during some time. We found that uh, the patient arrived normothermic at NICU admission. But uh, during the first hour, when you try to put the umbilical catheter or you do some, uh, for example, you give surfactant and so on, 
there there is a risk that uh, you can uh, after one hour you can have a, a drop of of the temperature not so important but you can lose uh, 0.5 0.3 degrees compared to the temperature admission and uh, yes this is important uh, for uh, to 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 be careful during the during the during the uh, admission in the NICU and uh, if i can uh, move to low resource setting yes please it, we conducted a very nice study in uh, beira a beira hospital it is a hospital in uh, beira is the second city in mozambique and there we have a great collaboration with our we our we, because our pediatric resident spend have the opportunity to spend six months in that hospital they have a tutor a local but also an italian tutor and we work with a, a ngo the name is kuam doctor with africa is a ngo from padua but is there is a, a relationship strong relationship with our university and that is a ngo and one of the study one of the question in uh, in this low resource setting was okay 65% of baby arrive hypothermic in the NICU. Okay, but what happened the first day of life? Okay, we know that we lose the match during the first 30 minutes of life or one hour of life. But what happened during the first day? And what we find was very interesting because, okay, if you have money, if you have dollar or euro, you put your orange... Uh, um, your hero in uh, in the first 30 minutes of life. But what we found was that if you arrive hypothermic and you become normothermic in the fifth day of life, your rate of mortality is 40%. Wow, 40%. But if you arrive hypothermic and you remain hypothermic during the first 24 hours of life, your mortality rate is 75%. And so it's a terrible. And so, of course, we have to take care of hypothermic baby during the, to avoid hypothermia during the first one hour of life. But also during the first day is uh, really, is, uh, it, uh, it counts. It has an important impact on, on the survival of this patient. So, uh, the conclusion of, of this study that we published, I remember, I think one, two years ago, was, okay, please be careful during the, make attention during the first hour, but also during the first day, because the first day could be, could add, a, not cool, cool, but adds an important risk to your possibility to survive if, uh, if you remain hypothermic. And so this is, I think, the first study that tried to put, uh, to see the, the temperature, to look at the temperature over time, not only one point, but uh, also at after 24 hours from a mission. It was interesting uh, information for, for me. Yeah, I think I think that's a very interesting because uh, it's right. We talk a lot about thermal regulation in the immediately postnatally, but we rarely think about this beyond that point. So I think I think that's an interesting um, that's an interesting point. What what has been the the drive um, f- for you to continue looking at uh, thermal regulation on a on a always comparing the global 
health aspect versus what you're doing in Italy, which is a developed country, obviously. But that that you, you seem to be very interested in comparing what we're doing in both places because your papers are not solely studies taking place in low and middle income countries, but there's always a, a mix. And I'm just curious as to, um, is this just because the opportunity is there or is there something beyond that that you want to compare all the time? I, am, uh, I think that uh, small things can change uh, uh, more life in low-resource settings. So we try to save uh, 400 grand baby. At least uh, I can understand the family ask, uh, is asking for uh, to do everything and so on. But uh, with uh, small, uh, how to say, uh, changes, you can save more life in low-resource setting. And... Uh, I can say you how to say an anecdote, just to give uh, to give uh, the idea of what happened in some setting. Uh, last January, I was in a hospital, the only hospital with the CPAP, the availability of CPAP in the NICU, in uh, Burkina Faso, in the capital. We were there, and. Uh, Uh, nurses are very expert in the use of the CPAP machine. And uh, we arrive in the morning, 8 uh, a.m., to do the grand round. And we were in the NICU, in the room. And uh, what I, I saw was that this patient was dying. It was a preterm newborn. The birth weight of this patient was uh, 1.5 kilogram. And uh, We put him in the in the CPAP because uh, we treated him in, with the CPAP because he was uh, uh, some uh, apneic episodes, and so it was the reason. But the FiO2 was always 21%. percent. Okay. okay, we arrive in the morning, in the second day of life, and the baby was dying, and the nurses was uh, said us, "Oh my God, this patient is dying for prematurity." And so we decided to look at the chart of the of the of the night, and what we found was that this patient, the temperature of this patient was 35 at midnight, was 35 at 3 a.m., was 35 at 6 a.m., and was 35 at 8 a.m. And so this nurse was able to measure the temperature in this patient, and so he was not not interested. The problem was not interesting. Is that she was able to to register the temperature, but the problem was that uh, she didn't uh, did an action to improve this problem. How to say? And uh, and uh, also there was another problem because the weight was 1.2 gram, two uh, kilograms, and so there was 20% of uh, uh, weight uh, loss. And so, just to give some example of uh, what we dis discussed with them. Okay, now this patient was, the, the reason of, this, uh, of the death of this patient was not prematurity, but was severe hypothermia, was uh, hypothermic collapse. And so um, it is very important to help uh, this, this group, these our colleagues, and uh, in, uh, in knowing this aspect, because... Uh, Uh, they do everything, but after also if they register the problem in this case, and so probably they don't believe that they they action or they don't believe that hypothermia is so important because everything was correct. The CPAP machine was set correctly. 
the nasal cannula where is in the night play in the right place. So it was not a technical problem. It was a I would like to say cultural problem probably. And so just to give you some uh, some ideas uh, of uh, how we can impact uh, and so the technology is important but uh, education is uh, make the difference. It's the same in our setting because for example if you look at the last uh, the last review and meta-analysis that we published in Resuscitation one month ago with the ILCOR group, how to prevent uh, hypothermia in, uh, or prevent uh, yes, hypothermia in preterm newborns. There are many things that we can do. For example, pre-warmer mattresses. Is important or not? For example, in, in my NICU, we don't use uh, pre-warmer mattresses but we have less hypothermia than some article that have published this approach. And uh, there is a study, for example, for Cornodone, they show that uh, exothermic matters can increase the rate of hypothermia. There are some studies that show that, uh, for example, the use of uh, heat and warmer gases, there, are, there is also meta-analysis, they show this, but... Uh, it depends when you work, where you work, where is your, what is your setting. For example, in this moment, we don't use uh, pre-warmed -warm, uh, and uh, humidified gases in our, NICU, NICU, uh, in our delivery room, but we have really a very low incidence of hypothermia, lower than, for example, some study from uh, Australia, from uh, Holland, Netherlands, and... Uh, and so is this interesting? So all this, all the treatment recommendation, for example, from this document, if you go to, to you can read them in the ILCOR website, yeah. is that when the resources are low and when you think that rate of hypothermia in your setting is important, you can consider the use of uh, gases, ether gases, you can use the, pre, the uh, exothermic mattress and so on. And so I think that all these measures are important, but uh, they have uh, arranged according to your situation, according to your uh, delivery room setting. If you have hypothermic, uh, for example, if you have uh, 22 degrees in your delivery room, <laughs> yes, in that case could be reasonable to have the pre-warmed mattresses. Yeah. That's so interesting. As we're getting close to the end of this conversation, I'm just curious about, um, based on all the work you've done, what are the things you are currently working on or the current studies you have in, in the works? And uh, where do you think is uh, the future of that area of study uh, going to, uh, to be? Uh, now we are uh, an ongoing randomized control trial, multi-center. We have involved 20 uh, hospitals, level three hospital in Italy. And the question is... Uh, in very pater infants or uh, less than 30, 30 uh, weeks gestation, is uh, the drying of the patient before putting him in the or her in the plastic bag or not drying the baby? This is the dry trial, the name is the dry trial. And so we are interested is uh, because in the big patient or large patient is important to dry. But we don't know if it is important for the small patient. We put them in the plastic bag. And uh, yes, this is a, we are, in, we are now have enrolled 110 
eight time patients. We are in the one third of the enrollment. We are planning to enroll three, 360 patients. And we hope to, to give another answer to this, uh, I think, very practical question. I like uh, clinical, clinical question and clinical study because most things can, can make, uh, I don't want to, to change uh, important thing, but uh, can change the clinical practice. Yes, and this is uh, relevant to me. What's your hypothesis on this study, on the dry trial? What do you think is <laughs> the right way? <laughs> No, the, the, the hypothesis is that uh, if we dry the baby, we can uh, decrease the uh, rate, the, we can increase the rate of normothermia. The primary outcome is normothermia. That is important, more, inter- more important than hypothermia because we want to avoid hyper and hypo. And so, yes, the hypothesis, I don't know if this will be confirmed. <laughs> we are very curious, but uh, yes, see, let's see what happens. <laughs> Let's see. We will be uh, looking out for this publication. Uh, Daniel, thank you. Thank you so much for making the time to chat with us this morning. I think it was a very instructive conversation and, and congratulations on the body of work that you've been able to publish on this topic because all the papers you mentioned and many more that we haven't touched on are so well written and they're such nice studies that um, we'll try to link even more of these on the on the website um, and they're super interesting. So, so congratulations for that. And again, thank you. Thank you for making the time to be with us today. Thank you very much, Ben. It was an honor. I was. Uh, I appreciated this invitation. I was happy to to be involved. Thank you. Yeah, we were very happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Incubator Podcast. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Instagram or Twitter at NICUPodcast, or through our website at www.the-incubator.org. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care professional. Thank you.